Good morning. Some time ago, uh, Susie and I uh, moved into Frank and Chris's house to look after their kids uh, while they were having a short holiday in Mexico. And uh, it was when we were spending time with the kids that I got an idea for a message for this morning. As you know, Frank and Chris spent three years in Bolivia and adopted two children there. And uh, so if you don't like the title, My Father is the King of Kings, you could change it to Lessons I Learned Babysitting the Grandkids. Uh, recently also, uh, I guess, God leads in mysterious ways and... Uh, Recently also, I had a, an uh, older issue of Faith Today on my bookshelf, and I took it down and paged through the index, and there was an article on international adoptions. And so I thought I'd read that, and I, you know, just maybe give me some idea where I wanted to go with, with this topic. And uh, the title of the article was, International Adoptions Bring Joy and Trials. And it's an article written by Carol Lowe's. She tells, among other things, about a couple from Ontario who adopted a little Romanian girl in 1991. So you know how kind of how old that magazine is. How old and how God used that experience to, to change their outlook. And she writes, she says, I saw a TV program about the lives of Romanian orphans and it broke my heart. It changed my thinking from how can I do the how can I get a perfect child and everybody couples that are adopting children most of them would like to adopt a perfect kid wouldn't they a perfect baby perfect young child and she said my changing change my thinking changed from from thinking how can I get a perfect child to what can I do to change someone else's life what can I do to help a child? And people may criticize what we are doing, she says, and we understand that. At first we decided not to adopt, and then we felt that God wanted us to and that children needed our love more than anything else. And we understand now, more than ever, that despite our flaws, God has adopted us as his children. And when I read that, I thought, there's, there's a sermon there, isn't there? And so some of the things that I'm going to, to share with you this morning are rather personal. And I hope you forgive me for that. Romans 8, verse 14 to 17, which Vern already read for us. I'll just repeat that again. I'll read it from the Phillips translation. All who follow the leading of God's Spirit are God's own sons. Nor are you meant to relapse into the old slavish attitude of fear. You have been adopted into the very family circle of God, and you can say with a full heart, Father, my Father. The Spirit himself endorses our inward conviction that we really are children of God. Consider what that means. That's what we want to talk about this morning. 
If we are his children, we share his treasures, and all that Christ claims as his will belong to all of us as well. If we share in his sufferings, as verse 16 says, we will certainly share in his glory. And as I began to study for this morning's message, I came across a booklet that uh, I've had for years, Knowing God Through Romans, where the writer lists key terms that, the, uh, that Paul uses in Romans, key terms for understanding Romans. And he, he just highlights words, terms such as gospel and grace and faith, justification, mercy, salvation, etc., etc., a long list of words. And in that list of terms was also the word adoption. Adoption in this case um, being defined as the act of God by which he places us into his family as sons and joint heirs, sons and daughters, we should say, but the Bible says sons, it's generic, as sons and joint heirs with Christ. Or put another way, an aspect of salvation in which God accepts a repentant sinner as his own and makes him a child in his family, a fellow heir with Christ. Isn't that amazing? Before I go any further, I, uh, I wanted to share something that... Uh, that our kids reported, like when they were back from their mission term in Bolivia, got back, they were asked at a Thanksgiving service to give a report. And things that they were thankful for coming back from Bolivia and things that they had experienced there and things that they were thankful for. So this is, I'll just read a short little piece here that Chris, that Chris reported on. I phoned her a few days ago and asked for her permission to say some of the things I'm going to say. I didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Like I said before, some of the things that I'm going to say are rather personal. But uh, she said, go ahead. Go ahead and say it. She starts her section of the report with a scripture verse out of Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever one of the first things that comes to mind when I think of thankfulness is God's wonderful gift to us our beautiful children I remember her saying when they were talking about maybe adopting, I remember her saying to us, how do you choose a child? I'm sorry. She said, I wish somebody would just place a baby in my arms. Before leaving for Bolivia, we had decided that if the opportunity arose to adopt a child, we would definitely pursue it. After about 10 months in our our new home, 
We began the paperwork process. God was faithful, and our waiting was rewarded by the arrival of our son, Samuel. They named him Samuel because the name means, for this child I prayed. Samuel's birth mother, with the help of a missionary in Santa Cruz, had looked for an adoptive family. His birth mother could not afford to feed this child. That's how desperately poor she was, and she felt she had to give the child up. So when Samuel was born, we were united with him only 11 hours later. He was very new and very much ours. From the moment that he was placed in our arms, he was our son. The paperwork took about another six months to say that everything was official, but the feelings in my heart said that it was official the moment I saw him. There are no words to explain exactly how I felt at that moment, but I imagine I felt the same sort of feelings that most new mothers do when they see and feel their newborn for the very first time. It was a short time after we received Samuel that we began to think about adopting a second child. We wanted Sam to have a companionship of a brother or sister from his own culture, a sibling that would share the same skin color, country, and perhaps some of the same challenges growing up. Around the same time, we heard about two little preemies at the Stansbury Orphanage that were eligible for adoption. The only hitch was that there were already two interested families. Somehow, in spite of this, I felt it was important that we visit these two very little girls. After a few months and several short visits to the orphanage, one of the other families changed their minds, and we were informed that we could begin the adoption process. Kenya's early days were difficult ones. She came into this world weighing 1.7 pounds. She was born in a government hospital in Santa Cruz three and a half months before her time. Kenya spent the next four months in the hospital before she was moved to the Stansbury Orphanage for another three months. It was on February 27, 2002, when Kenya was seven months old, we were able to take her home to live with us, and our life has never been the same. God has truly blessed us. I remember the way my heart ached without Sam and Kenya to care for. I remember feeling lonely and unfulfilled. Our daughter Chris was told before they went to Bolivia that they would never, she would likely never have her own children because of some medical condition that she has. That's why she's saying what she does. I felt that God wasn't listening, and I wondered why he didn't want me to be a mother. But God did want me to be a mother and was preparing me all along to be the mother of two very special children. And by the way, I'll just add here, shortly after they arrived back in Canada, Chris was pregnant. And, cru- and proved the doctor wrong twice. She had two little blonde-haired girls after that. And there was a cute little story about that. The kids were, when, when, her, when Ellie was born, 
she would put, she had three car seats. The kids weren't that far apart in age because they adopted two kids almost the same age, and, and now another one arrived on the scene, and so she had three car seats shoulder to shoulder across the back seat of her car, and she would put the dark-skinned, black-haired ones on the outside, and she'd put her little blonde girl in the middle. And she'd tell the kids, you are mummy's Oreo cookie. (laughs) And they just loved that. They belonged, regardless of what their appearance was, their physical appearance. They weren't the same, but they belonged. And they were, whenever somebody came to the car and these little kids were three abreast, were sitting in the back seat, people would come up to look at the kids and to admire the kids and to say hi. And the kids started to giggle and they said, We're mummy's Oreo cookie. Verse 15 of Romans 8 reads, You have received a spirit of adoption. And I'd like for us to consider three words here to help us to understand the dynamics of these verses, the blessings that are promised here and what it says about an omnipotent and holy and awesome God as he relates to us, his sinful, helpless creatures. And these three words are position and assurance and inheritance. Position assurance, inheritance. First word, position. Excuse me. The word adoption in the New Testament means being placed as an adult son. We come into God's family by birth, the new birth. But the instant that we are born into the family. God adopts us and gives us the position of an adult child. A baby cannot walk, a baby cannot speak or make decisions. Excuse me. A baby can't draw upon the family's wealth, but the believer in Christ can do all of these things the instant he is born again. And a little background to this, lest I do violence to the text for my own purposes, and I don't want to do that, let me explain a little further. When, when the scriptures talk about adoption, like here in, uh, in Romans, for instance, and there's others that uh, are a call to worshipers as well, When the scriptures talk about adoption, it means something different than what we understand by adoption today. In ancient Rome, a child was put under the care of a guardian or steward, we might say. Um, The child, the guardian, the steward took care of this child until the date set by the father when the child would become a mature son. And when that day came, he ceased being under the power and control of his tutors or governors, and he was declared mature. Uh, Most Bible scholars figure it was somewhere in his teens and sometimes even later than that. So that's, that's the background to what adoption meant in that case, okay? Being placed as an adult child. 
And when he was declared mature, publicly declared an adult son or daughter, to have, then he was declared to have full privileges, full responsibilities as a member of the family. And so spiritual adoption emphasizes position, okay? Whereas a child in Paul's day had to wait until he was probably, like I say, a teenager at least, to be officially placed as a son, there is no waiting period for the believer. It occurs when he trusts Jesus Christ, when you and I trust Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. We are then, indeed, God's children and recognized by him as such. Have you ever thought that you might want to thank God for adopting you? I'll tell you a cute little story. When Kenya was, I think she's 12 now, she's going to be a teenager this summer. That's terrible. But anyway, when, when Kenya, I think, was about eight years old, uh, the teacher in school suggested uh, Mother's Day was coming. And the next Sunday was Mother's Day. And so that for art class, her teacher suggested to her little class, why don't you make your mother's a Mother's Day card? And they got all excited about it, of course, as little kids well. And so Kenya takes some paper, and she writes on the front of it, she writes Happy Mother's Day, and she colors in flowers and different decorations on the front of the card to make it all pretty, as little girls are apt to do. And then she opens the card, and what does she write on the inside? You are the best mummy in the world. Thank you for adopting me. That card stood on Chris's windowsill above her kitchen sink for a long, long time. Thank you for adopting me. If you are a child of God this morning, you ought to thank him. Two truths are evident about our adoption as God's children. First, we are not children by inherent right. We have no claim to God's fatherhood. God does not have to accept us. God does not have to adopt us and put us in his family. We have no claim. It is all grace. It is all mercy. When Frank and Chris went to the Stansbury Orphanage, they decided to spend the day there playing with the kids. So they were playing there all day, and one little boy took quite a liking to Frank. You can imagine kids in an orphanage, no parental contact. And so Frank was playing with this little boy quite a bit that day, 
And when it was time to leave the orphanage, this little fellow wrapped This little fellow wrapped his arms around Frank's leg and wouldn't let go. He wanted to go home with him. Now Frank said to me, he said, I, I felt like I wanted to take all the kids home with me. But I knew I, I, knew I couldn't do that. He says, this is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. He had to pull this little fellow's hands off his leg and leave. We have no claim on on God's fatherhood. It is all grace. It is all mercy. Second, it is when we trust in Jesus as our Savior that we are adopted by Heavenly Father and granted the privileges of sonship. Adopted means chosen. I've got a cute little story. These kids were playing on the playground, little kids at school, they were playing on the playground and they had heard that one of their classmates was adopted. Now they, I don't know what grade they were in, I think they were grade one kids, they didn't know what adopted meant. They had never met a, a kid that had been adopted. So they were discussing among themselves, what does it mean to be adopted? What does that mean, adopted? We hear this kid's adopted, what is that? And this adopted kid overheard their conversation, comes running over, And she says to them, I'm adopted. I know what it means. You do? What does it mean? Okay, I'll tell you. It means I grew in my mummy's heart instead of her tummy. Cute story. Secondly, assurance. Another blessing of our adoption. Assurance. Verse 15, you received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Daddy. That's what Abba means, by the way. It's a term of intimacy. Have you ever called God Daddy? It's almost disrespectful. But that's exactly what that word is by which we cry out, Abba. We are transformed from slaves to children of God by the Holy Spirit. And he, the Holy Spirit, testifies to our family status. God is no longer distant. He is now our Father in the most intimate sense of that word. And he has given us his Spirit that we might confidently know the experience of that sonship. That's assurance Verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. God does not want us to shrink from him, but rather cling to him 
in love and to trust him and to have confidence to approach him, knowing that he loves us beyond measure and that he is eager to meet our needs and to give us what is in our best interests. Have I grasped the meaning of my relationship with God, with a loving Heavenly Father? Can I say, can you say, Abba, Father? The gift, the gift of family. Do you know this morning that you are God's child? Do you have that assurance that you are a part of God's family? I found this in a magazine as well. Bailey clearly remembers her first Christmas with her family. It was the day Christmas finally became real. Adopted through foster care at age 11, she recalls past Christmases as pleasant but somehow fake. Her first Christmas with her family arrived as other Christmases with presents, food, and festivities. But this time, she truly belonged. It was a real Christmas, a celebration at home with her own family. And Bailey says, it was the first Christmas that I actually felt loved and included. I had people surrounding me with love and acceptance. They were hugging me and treating me as if I wasn't a child in foster care at all. My family accepted me for who I am and gave me grace for my mistakes. It was the best memory and the first Christmas I have ever felt like I meant something to someone. Excuse me. Warren Wiersbe highlights the differences between a son and a servant like this. A son has the nature of a father, a servant does not. A son has a father, a servant has a master. A son loves, a servant servant obeys. A son is an heir, a servant is not. And so the third point, inheritance, verse 17. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Just uh, Friday morning, for those of you used your daily bread, part of their scripture reading was was, uh, taken from Romans 8, if you recall, a couple of days ago in your daily bread. And uh, we didn't have verse 23 read, but that was part of the scripture reading on Friday morning. And it's verse 23 says, And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for, adopt- for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. So some of the benefits, some of the blessings, some of uh, the, the most amazing thing is yet to happen. The benefit of our adoption, that will happen when we meet Christ again in eternity. So some of the blessings of adoption are yet to be. That's what verse 23 is about. If we are his children, we share his treasures, and all that is Christ is ours as well. We are eternally rich. We can't even comprehend what that means. I don't know whether you're in line for inheriting a a fortune, when some loved one passes away, a wealthy parent maybe, or a wealthy relative, I don't know if that's going to happen to you.
When we hear of someone inheriting a huge amount of money or property, we say, oh, how fortunate, how lucky they are. They've got it made. And we get really excited about material, material inheritance, temporal things, things that don't have any lasting value, and yet we can be so indifferent and we can be so callous to the inheritance that is ours in Christ an inheritance which is not only for eternity but for now. Heirs of God, we will never fathom what that really means. The important thing to remember is this, an inheritance is something which a person obtains because of relationship. It is not something that is earned, it is a gift. Maybe you're here this morning and you still have this mindset that you can earn God's favor that you can work your way to heaven, that God will accept you on the basis of your being a good girl or a good boy. We have to rid ourselves of that kind of thinking. For all have sinned, God's word says, and come short of the glory of God, his word tells us that. Eternal life is a gift from God given to those who acknowledge their lost condition. And who come as unworthy people to a God who is full of grace and mercy and wants more than anything else to make you a child in his forever family. And so I pray, as we close this morning, that if you haven't done so already, you may tell him that you want to be his child. And he will give you the assurance that you really are and that yours is an inheritance that is beyond your comprehension. When we were with the kids that week, one night I was upstairs to wish them good night. We had devotions with the kids and they said their prayers. I went to Kenya's room. As I said, she's 12 years old now. I wished her good night. And I saw again the poster she has above her bed. She's had it there for a couple of years now. And I got all choked up. The poster reads, I am a princess. My father is the king of kings.